The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Our scripture reading this morning from Deuteronomy 6 is uh, Mr. Dan Hartman. We're just going to be reading verses 4 through 9 out of chapter 6 here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Well, this morning will be uh, our last Sunday in this little little short two-parter before we get back into the Gospel of Luke. And this morning from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, Uh, As you saw on Slack, what we're going to do is we're seeking just to anchor even further theologically from the Bible why we are saying what we're saying and running at what we're running at as it regards uh, children um, in the service. What does it look like for moms and dads to be the primary disciplers, for the church to come alongside and to be able to equip and to be able to help you in that task? And so that's what we're going to look at today. So our sermon title this morning is called A Parent's privilege. So parents have a privilege that's been given to them, a special honor, or you could say this, it's my pleasure as a parent. And what is the parent's pleasure? It's to be able to love God and to love God in front of their children. That's what we're going to see from Deuteronomy 6, that it is a parent's privilege to love God and then not just to be private in their devotion to where it's just you by yourself, but God's design is for a mom and a dad to love God in front of their children, to show their children how to love God. And then we're going to see that even here in these pretty famous verses uh, that Moses was writing for God's people, there is a community aspect woven into that. And what does that look like for a Jesus family to come alongside the primary disciples of the family, moms and dads. So I'm going to hit pause. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit to give us uh, eyes to see Jesus, to give us ears to hear and understand, and so that way, so that way we might walk in obedience to our God. So let's, let's do that. Let's pray. Father, we've uh, all lived life this past week. Since we've gathered last, there's been six days and 22 hours of living. And some of us are here and we can say with with genuine heart, genuine honesty that we've just seen the blessing of God. And God, your hand has been made evident in our lives. We've seen your goodness in ways that we could just never have possibly imagined. And our hearts are buoyant. They're genuinely happy in you. And we're happy to worship you. For others of us here this morning, uh, we've lived life and it's been maybe quite the opposite. 
conversations we've had perhaps have us wondering, am I God-forsaken? Not God-blessed, but God-forsaken. And we're just maybe hanging on by a thread, and we have our doubts, and we're just maybe not quite sure what to think about God. And we're asking questions, where is he at in the midst of fill-in-this-blank scenario in my life? Father, I ask that right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak through your word to help us to see that whether we're on the mountaintop high or the valley low of life, that you are there, you are very active, you are very present, you're entirely in the midst of that situation, you're not far off, but you are close, and that you have a care, and that we can lean and rely on you. Lord, help us to see how these things apply to the life of the parent so that we as moms and dads might be able to go from here seeking to do what you've called us to do, which is to stack gospel kindling against the hearts of our kiddos so that one day in your kindness you would send fire from heaven, so to speak, and ignite that kindling and awaken and save those little ones that we cherish that have been gifted to us as moms and dads. Help us, Father. Tune our hearts right now to your word. It's in your name that I pray these things. Amen. I think this is a good question just to think on, just to set our, our mind in the direction of what, what Moses is, is putting before God's people here in Deuteronomy 6. And the question goes like this. As you open up God's Word, you could say specifically in Deuteronomy 6, or maybe it's just somewhere else in the Scriptures, because what we see in Deuteronomy 6 is found in other places in the Bible, but it could just be this. As you open up God's Word, who do you find that God has put in place to be the primary discipler of children? This is not a rhetorical question right now to you. As you open up your Bible and you see God speak and He gives us his vision for our families. Who does God call to be the primary disciplers of our children? Any brave soul willing to say out loud? What's that? Parents. Parents are called to be the primary disciplers. God has given parents the primary discipleship role. You see this in Deuteronomy 6. It's crystal clear. You could go into the New Testament, somewhere like Ephesians 6, verse 4, where the Apostle Paul is talking to the Christians in Ephesus, and he says something like this, Fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's the same kind of Deuteronomy 6 language found in Ephesians 6. And so when you begin to string these truths together, we are shown that teaching our children about God, it is a parent's privilege. It's a parent's privilege. Now, I'm using that word privilege in a very, very uh, special way or specific way, and I'm using that word on purpose because one definition of the word privilege is to regard something with a special honor. Now you're like, ah, what does that mean? Well, you know what that means. Every time you go to Chick-fil-A and eat some Christian chicken and you order your Chick-fil-A sandwich and you get done paying your money for your order, what does the employee say back to you? They say, it has been my pleasure. 
That's privileged language. What they're saying is, it's been my special honor to serve you. You've given me, in this moment, a privilege, a pleasure, an honor to be able to engage in a certain way in a thing with you, and it has been my pleasure, my special honor to serve you. And so when you look at the whole of God's Word, what we see is that the special honor, the pleasure, the privilege of teaching the generations after us about God, about His Word, how to love Him, how to pursue Him, how to walk in obedience to Him, and any other number of commands we see in the Bible, so that the next generation, so that the next generation beyond them, yet unborn, might set their hope in God. Who has that special honor been given to? It's been given to parents. It's been given to parents. Now, as we continue to go forward here, I just want to say a couple of things here before we dive in. I want to just say something to those who desire to be parents, but maybe you can't because of infertility. Or maybe you are one who wants to be a parent, but it just hasn't happened yet. You're hopeful for the future. Maybe it's you who find yourself to where like your parenting has just changed, right? You've raised your children and now they're out of the house and you just simply find yourself as an empty nester. Or maybe now you find yourself in the grand parenting stage. What you need to know is this, is that Deuteronomy 6 is for individual families. Yes, it is geared towards a mom and a dad. But we also need to know is that Deuteronomy 6 is for Jesus' families as a whole as well. What you need to know is that the Bible does have a category for spiritual, family, uh, spiritual parenting. To where when moms and dads who have children gather together in a local Jesus family like you find yourself in, you begin to look around, look left, and look right. What you see is through that large diversity of people who are seeking to love God, it is good and right to also see this, that God has gifted the church to moms and dads so that no matter where you find yourself in life, you can be part of that discipling arm as well of the local church. We're going to see this idea here in a little bit. But also, I just think it's important to say this, that what you see here in Deuteronomy 6 and how I'm applying verse 5 specifically, where it's this idea of God has called parents to love God and then to love God in front of their children. You just need to know that that loving God and loving God in front of others, that's not just for parents. Like if someone could raise their hand and go like, well, I'm not a parent, so I don't have to love God and I don't have to love them in front of others. That's, that's not what I'm saying. What, what I'm saying is this morning, I'm just taking this truth from Deuteronomy 6 and I'm just applying it overtly, specifically to moms and dads. So when we turn to Deuteronomy 6, what do we first discover? We discover this truth that as a parent, it is my privilege to love God. So, where are my kiddos at? Teen to toddler, raise your hand here again, like we did last week. Raise your hands up. Do you guys got your journals? Can you stick your journals up in, up in the air? All right, this is our, our journals that we're talking about, your treasure hunting places, right? So, here's little treasure number one. Do you guys see that up there on the screen? If you kick over to uh, point number one, there you go. It is a parent's privilege to love God, little treasure number one. Now, I just want to pause real quick because we're trying to tie these things together, what we were talking about last week and what we're continuing to pursue this week. 
Last week, Pastor Jonathan preached a sermon to you, if you remember, out of Psalm 1, and there were some truths in there that were just like very specifically applied to you. Now, you might be thinking, if you're a teenager down to toddler, like, wow, okay, so this says, as a parent, it is my privilege to love God, and you're like maybe thinking as a little one, like, well, I'm not a mommy, I'm not a daddy, but what you might think of is this, but like you probably will be one day... And it's good for you to begin to learn now as a teenager down to a toddler and everywhere in between, like there is a truth for here for you that will be true for you most likely in the future. So that's one way to think of this as you are writing down these little treasures. But also think about this. Maybe you just go home today and say during lunch, right, on your drive to McDonald's to get your burger and your fries. Maybe you just ask your mom and dad. Mom and dad, Pastor Jonathan said from Deuteronomy 6 that it is your privilege to love God What does that mean for you? And maybe you ask your mom and dad that question. And so my point is this, whether the truths from God's word are talking to moms and dads or to children or everywhere in between, it is for everyone here to be able to come and discover the treasures of God's word. Does that make sense? Little ones? Yes? All right. So here we go. Back to the sermon. All right. So the parenthesis is over there. Okay. So look in your Bible, opening up Deuteronomy 6, look at verse 4, look at God's word, what it says there, starting in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love, we're going to talk about that here in a minute, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, if you grew up in a Jewish community, or maybe you might have a Jewish background, or maybe you just know that these words here are often referred to as the Shema. It's just a a Hebrew word that is the word for here. And so in Jewish community, if you grew up in Jewish community, this verses, these verses from Deuteronomy 6 are often repeated in the home, and it's repeating what is often known as the Shema. But what you need to know is that in the context of Deuteronomy 6, when God was leading Moses to write these things to his people, they were being written in real life. And there's a real life context going on here, and it's this. It's that God's people were sitting on the edge after the wilderness wanderings, and they were about ready to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. But crossing the Jordan into the promised land meant that these people of God would soon be immersed into a culture, and they were about to be immersed into a culture that has a very distinct lifestyle, which would encourage belief in everything but God. God knew that pagan people worshiping pagan gods would seek to pull the people of God away from the one true God. And so God speaks to Moses to go to the people of God and say, here is how you continue to walk forward, trust forward, walk in obedience to me. It's by remembering this truth, O Israel, that the Lord our God, the Lord is one, but notice that God's plan for his people so that his people might not drift away from him is to actually speak to the family. So you could say from Deuteronomy 6, God's answer for a people to continue to pursue God in a way that is true, good, and right is to call families to pursue God in this way. 
You see, when a mom and dad set as the north star of their lives, when a mom and dad come together and say this, the compass that will point the family direction, our little family unit forward, is going to be that north star of this truth that we are followers of God, we have the Lord God as our God, there is one true God, it is Him, this is the anchor point of our lives. This is the undeniable, this is the non-negotiable understanding that will guide us forward. God is saying to His people, this is what sets the course for children and generations to come. It's to anchor upon these kinds of truths. But notice that this isn't just a knowledge-based thing. Moses isn't saying, guys, open a book, learn a little data point about God, stick it away in the back of your mind, and then you're going to be good to go. Notice that that's not where it's at. We do need to know this. It is a knowledge-based thing, but notice it is also a heart-based thing. The one true God is a God of the heart. He's after the heart. He doesn't want us just to be fat heads full of knowledge about Him. He wants that knowledge to permeate down to our hearts so out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak. Out of the overflow of our hearts, our lives are changed. Because the Lord is one, notice in verse 5, He is the only God we can love. There are no others. He is the one we are to pursue. And the invitation for a parent is to lead the way by being the lead lover of God in the family. So if you were to ask the question, how are my children in my household to know how to love God? It's as mom and dad pursue God, love God, that they will begin to model it for their children. See that there in verse 5? Notice the command, you shall love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God, and you shall love Him with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. So just think what a special honor it is to love God as a mom and a dad. Think of the special privilege, the special honor, the pleasure that God has given to moms and dads. So here's, here's what I mean by this. If you go back to the Chick-fil-A illustration earlier, the privilege, my pleasure language, what we said was that privilege language, it's pleasure language. It really is. Thus, the command from God to moms and dads to love the Lord your God, mom and dad, with all your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. Love the Lord your God with all your might. Really, what this is from God is the command to come, mom and dad, and find your absolute deepest pleasure in the one true living God. You and I have lived life long enough to know that the world invites us to find pleasure in anything and everything but God, does it not? Many of us found ourselves on the receiving end of those invitations this past week. Come and find pleasure in this, fill in the blank, with anything but God. 
But here comes God, and he says this, he being the one true God, him being the omniscient God, the God who knows all things, him being the sovereign God, if I were to get up and say this, Delta Church, here's what you should do. You shall love Pastor Jonathan with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is it. You're got, you should pump the brakes because you're just like, yeah, I don't know. Like The way that I grapple with this idea of love, like I, I don't think you're worthy of it. And it feels sort of egotistical for me to get up and tell you to do that to me. And the danger is when we hear God say, guys, here's how your deepest pleasure is found. It's actually by me commanding you to love me. We might begin to maybe wrongly think, well, I don't know that that's right for God to say that. But actually the Bible would say the only one who has the right to command that is the good, sovereign steadfast, loving, faithful to the end, merciful and gracious God. If he knows himself to be the absolute source point for all pleasure, it's actually right for God to say, moms and dads, come and find your deepest pleasure in me. It would actually be horrific of God if God knew that to be true about himself and then were to say, mom and dad, I think you should go find pleasure somewhere else. That would be horrific if we heard that from God. But because God knows himself fully and is satisfied in himself fully and knows himself to be the absolute source point for all things pleasurable, for him to say, come, love me with all your heart, soul, strength, it is good and right for God to do this. And listen to this, the fact that we can truly love God in this way. So think about you, mom and dad, Christian mom and dad, mom and dad who have found uh, saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that you can say, I, like, I truly love God, like I genuinely love God. The Bible would say it's not because you woke up one day and you just were smart enough to choose to figure out how to love God. It's not because you're so great and obviously more intelligent than anyone else in the room. No, we are able to love God, says the Bible, because God first took the initiative to love us in the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the wrath-absorbing substitute for our sins. In other words, the fact that you or I find that my heart genuinely, truly loves God, the fact that you find that like, you can say with no hypocrisy in your heart, with full integrity of heart, you can say, I love God as God. I love Him as protector. I love Him as sustainer. I love Him as Savior is because He first acted in love toward you. If you are here this morning and you love God truly, it is a sign that God has chosen you, which is amazing. It's amazing. Mom and dad, in Jesus Christ, you are loved by God. And now because of God's great love shown to you, we can now say with integrity of heart, it is my pleasure to love God. It is my privilege to love God. It is my special honor to love God. God sought me. God bought me. God made me his own. And now I get the pleasure of loving him. What a privilege God has given to moms and dads. Amen. Now, rooted on that truth, moms and dads, we have that pleasure, special 
honor, that privilege of loving God, we should ask the question, well, what does this mean for our children? Because that's where Moses goes. He says, this isn't just for you to go hole up in a corner and think about how amazing it is you have the special honor of loving God. He says, this is meant to roll down to the next generation. And that's where you see little treasure number two, point number two. Here it is, kiddos. As a parent, it is my privilege to love God in front of my children. That's little treasure number two. As a parent, it is my privilege to love God in front of my children. So God knew that children would need a model of what loving God looks like. Just think about your own life. Let's say you grew up in church. You did not start growing up in church on the first day you showed up in church as the expert on what it looks like to love God. You didn't do that. You needed help, and people began to show you what that looked like. Your mom and dad most likely were there modeling that for you. So you see this not only broadly in the church, but you also see it specifically in the family. God placed children and families to learn from parents how to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. That's the connection between verses 4 and 5 to verses 6 through 9. It's parents who teach their children how to love God by loving God in front of their children. That's the connection there. So look starting in verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So notice there's the heart language again, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then in verse 6, when Moses says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, you need to know is that the context of Deuteronomy 6 is on the very back end of Moses repeating the Ten Commandments to the people of God in Deuteronomy 5. So he says, here's what God wants of you. Here's what he expects. Here's how you can know to pursue God and worship God and obey God and fear God and love God. And he says, in light of these things, we, we, we're running after this. We want them in our heart. The Shema isn't after hypocrisy, but integrity. So if you're thinking this, like, man, I don't love God. I don't want anything to do with God, but I better just go start giving away this thing. What, because it says, after all, like these things are supposed to be on my heart. I'm supposed to teach them diligently to, to my children. No, the Shema isn't saying have a divided heart. The Shema is saying have a heart of integrity. A heart that says, man, like, I love God, and because I love God, I want to love God in front of my kiddos, and as I love God in front of my kiddos, they're going to be shown how to do this. God wants parents to first have love for Him and obedience to His ways on their own hearts first. Now, as we all know, it's very hard to model for our children what we don't have, right? Do what I say, don't do what I do kind of vibe that can often be what the world, the culture around us says. You know, don't, don't do what I do, little ones, but just do what I say. The Shema does not flow in that stream. The words here from God are, no, parents, point your kids to loving God, but even let the call to show your kids how to love God come back on you and, and, and reveal like, man, there's areas in my own life, and I'm talking about myself right now, there's areas in my own life where I struggle to love God well. 
And so when you hear the Shema, the temptation might be eject, eject, hit the button, get out of here, like, right, I'm not doing it well, so I'm just going to pick it up, I'm going to throw the whole thing out the window. No, the Shema is designed by God to say, moms and dads, love God in front of your kiddos so that they know how and have a model for how to love God. And then when you begin to do that, what you're going to realize very quickly is this, oh no, Like, I need a lot of help right now because I don't know how to love God well, and God has a big smile on his face in heaven because he's like, and that's the point. This is to help you learn how to grow to be dependent on me so that as you pursue me in dependence, your help to even obey the command is going to come from me, and then you begin to model how to love kids in front of your family. It simply means we go to God in dependence. We ask Him for help. Has anyone this past week prayed for help as parents? <laughs> Anybody? Yeah. Why? Parenting's hard. Understatement of like, you know, the millennium. We need help. God invites us to come and lean on Him for that help. To pray something like this, God, because it is my God-given privilege to love you in front of my children, I need your help to love you. And then the good news is as you begin to pray in this way, guess what? God will begin to grow you. And as God begins to grow you out of the abundance of your heart, says Jesus, your mouth will then begin to speak. And then verse 7 will become more and more true of you, where out of the abundance of your heart, pursuing and loving God, you shall begin to teach, verse 7. Notice, teach what? Teach God's word, his commands, his ways diligently to your children. Then you'll begin to talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Just three quick observations here before we get to some of that that application time. First one is this. Love for God is an all-encompassing reality. Just notice verses 6 through 9. Love for God is an all-encompassing reality. When you just take six through nine, you scoop it together, and you're like, distill it down, give it to me. What, like, what is it in a sentence? It's this. God is teaching his people that your love and pursuit of me, it encompasses every single area of life. Verses six through nine, leave no stone unturned. Everywhere, all the time is the right time to talk about loving God and how to love God. As parents, the idea is to so saturate your family life with God talk that no part of life is siloed off from the Savior, right? It's where, like, well, we do the Jesus stuff for two hours on a Sunday morning, but the next six days and 22 hours, like, that's not Jesus time. The Shema would say different bullseye that we're aiming at. Or to say, hey, man, we're going to try to do, yeah, we're going to run after Jesus for two hours on a Sunday morning. The next six days and 22 hours, we're going to run after Jesus. But that whole money side of life, Jesus ain't got no right to go touch touch the money. Shema would say, not quite the bullseye we're aiming at. All the time, every time, is right to saturate life with talk, about God and his word and what he desires for us. Second, love for God 
is an in-the-home reality. So while I am saying this, that verses 6 through 9 teach us, it is an all-encompassing reality. And then Moses goes through and says, like, listen, guys, it's like teaching that to your children, whether you're talking about it, binding it on your heads, making it, making it personal, putting it out on the doorpost on the street so that people know, like, we've got God followers who, who live here. Some would argue verses 6 through 9 is just a whole bunch of examples that just teach this truth, that it's just all about loving God every moment, of every day, and then that's where they stop. So I think it's not either or, it's both and. It is that, but it's also true that these examples that Moses gives have a point, and Moses's point is this. Love for God is an in-the-home reality. God has given mom and dad you the pleasure, a special honor of saying, I'm the chief modeler of what loving God looks like. The home is ground zero for teaching and talking about God and his word. Do you see there in verse 7 all the language that Moses uses? Do you see that? Teach diligently God's word, his commands, his law to your children. Talk about them. Well, when should I talk about them? Whether you're sitting in your house, that's house, home language. Whether you're walking by the way, whether you're lying down, when you rise. This is home language, unashamedly home language. According to Deuteronomy 6, home is where discipleship discipleship takes place. And so for many, this looks like a whole bunch of different ways. It can look like a time of just specific family worship. Many people do a time of family worship around the dinner table and the evening time. It can look like that. It can look like maybe Bible studies if your kids are older and you've got teams and you're leading them on how to read their Bible and how to pray. Many of you I know with littler kids are using catechisms, just simple truths you're trying to teach to your kid with questions and answers so that they can begin to learn God's Word. It looks like time spent in prayer. It looks like prayer walking and going on mission in your neighborhood. It's all those little micro impromptu conversations that pop up every single day with your kids. No, for the thousandth time, you can't do this thing. That's a gospel time, gospel opportunity for that conversation. But lastly, notice in verse 9 that love for God is a community reality. It's in that language there where it says, You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, on your gates. He's moving it out beyond just within the family home. In verse 9, it's this communal. It's more than just you. The parents' privilege to teach their children to love God doesn't mean the parents are an island unto themselves. It seems that when you talk about things like this, people tend to tip to the extremes where they'll say this, I'm going to pursue God in my home and it's just going to be our family and our family alone. No need for community within the larger church family or the extreme will tip the other way and it's this, I'm going to come to church and I'm going to dump my kids on the church and I really hope the church produces and gives me a Christian back in the next five to ten years. But I think what you see in the scriptures is the beautiful balance. It's the both and. Mom and dad, primary discipler, but also know this, God has called the church to be discipler as well. Ephesians 4, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry kind of idea. So it's not either or, it's this beautiful both and. Parents, we have the awesome 
responsibility to model a passionate love for God, but our God has also gifted us with the church, this local Jesus family to which we belong that is filled with other lovers of God who can also model a passionate love for God. So think about it. This is why we participate in corporate singing. This is why we participate in corporate confession and corporate prayer. These are all so vital to the gathering of moms and dads and families into a local Jesus family because we value having children in the worship service with us. So when you, lover of God, get up and stand and sing truths about God out loud, I'm thankful to you for loving God out loud in that moment because as you love God out loud in that moment, guess what you're doing? You're modeling to my child what it looks like to love God and pursue God. And when you get up and you participate in the public confession of sin, like, I need to see you doing that because I need the encouragement to also pursue God in this way. But it also is modeling for the children in the service. Man, like moms and dads and some of your friends' moms and dads are sinners who need Jesus too. And they begin to learn that the right rhythm, the natural in and out breathing of a believer is what? Confession of sin to a God who forgives sin. The same with prayer. When we can sing and confess and pray, we're modeling how to love God in front of one another. That includes children and adults on a Sunday morning, and that's God's good design. So I think that's what God wants for us from Deuteronomy 6. So what I want to do is, I think if you saw it on the Slack post, I just wanted to give like a little how the sausage is made kind of thing, a peek behind the pastoral curtain, so to speak, and just pass along to you guys some things that we are uh, trying to put before us to grow in. Newsflash, Delta Church is not the perfect church. And so if you're like, sign me up for the perfect church, then I need to usher you out the door, please, because you'll learn that we are still growing and we are still learning as we seek to pursue God and how to make mature and multiply disciples. And so I just wanted to try to have like a peek from the pastor's heart kind of application this morning. I know it's a little bit different maybe from what we normally do, but I just hope you will bear with me and I'll, I'll, I'll do this as quick as possible. The first thing I just wanted to talk about was what we said last week. So last week when we began to model for you, like right, it is a desire we have for your little ones to be in the service with us. Um, we we're shutting down the herd. We we're wanting people to come in here. That wasn't just a pragmatic thing. That wasn't like, well, we don't have enough volunteers, and so we'll shut it down, and one day if we have enough volunteers, we'll fire it back up. We just want you to know it's a values thing. Like, we genuinely value children being here for everything, basically, I just said for the past, like, 30 minutes. And so we're like, let's just continue this Sunday, today, to further ground what we said last Sunday in the Scriptures. My hope is that if you go to anywhere in the Bible, you can go to Deuteronomy 6 and see that the reason why we're moving in the direction that we're doing is because it's just us living out a genuine Bible, biblical value that we see in God's Word. We just want you to know that this decision, the training, the reason why I'm putting big treasure and little treasure up on the screen and we're putting journals in your hands to help your kids be Bible treasure hunters and we're doing things like the family night is to be able to create more opportunities to help you be able to be the primary disciple of your home. Why? Because we, as your pastors, have realized I think we've assumed too much. 
I think we just sort of assume people will just sort of figure this out. And what we began to realize is that was an assumption. That was truly an assumption. Um, some of us have been able to figure that out, but some of us are like, I just need help. Will someone help me? And so this year what we've been doing is saying, okay, starting last Sunday, this Sunday, let's go forward and, and do this. We truly value children in the service, and that's why we want them in here so that as we sing, as we confess, as we hear God's Word preached, we will be able to model one to another our love for God in front of others, in front of other children, in front of other adults, because we want that next generation and the generation after them to know how to pursue and love God. Yeah, that makes sense. So my hope is that uh, this leads you not to like, I, I, my hope is that this gives you the, uh, the peace of heart and the peace of mind to not have to feel apologetic. Like this is different, right? I have a lot of conversations. People come through our doors and are like, where's the youth program that I can just put my kid into? And it's like, well, we're not quite running at it in that way or whatever. And then they leave. Why? Because they just think we value different things. And I'm not saying one is good or bad or the other. I'm just saying we are running at it a different way. And the, and the temptation might be just to want to be apologetic, to have to feel sorry that we're pursuing God in this way. My encouragement would just be, you don't have to feel sorry for this way. I think we're genuinely trying to pursue God like in a Deuteronomy 6 sort of way, okay? So, so that, that's just what I wanted to say last week. With the community idea as well, right? So it's also recognizing, yes, families, primary disciples of the home. We want to model behaviors as we gather so that moms and dads know how to model behavior out and beyond. And so how do we as the church in an Ephesians 4 sort of way come alongside mom and dad to help them be primary disciplers, what we've recognized is this, is that we've been missing within our church, uh, I think, an extra leg that we need within our church to help you, mom and dad, as adults yourself, and to help you, mom and dad, as the primary disciplers. And so, for a lack of a better phrase, I don't know if we're going to call it this forever, but we're talking about Sunday school, y'all, all right? So, anybody grew up in church, that's what, we're, that's what we're talking about right now. So, I don't know what we'll call it, but I'm just going to call it that because most of us have an idea what we mean by that. So, if you know anything sort of about like church history kind of thing, 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago, your pretty traditional church model was this. You show up at church on Sunday morning, you go to Sunday school then you go to big church, right? And then that was it. And sort of the flag that began to raise about 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago was something along these lines. Hey, we're learning a lot, but we're missing all the community within church. Where's community? Where's community? Where are the relationships? No, there's nothing like that going on. And so churches began to make this, make this shift. We're going to move from the classroom of the Sunday school, and we're going to go to a community group model, small group model. And so the move was shifted all the way over here to this side. We're going to go from the classroom into the living room. But what has, I think, nowadays, most people would say, has become evident is this, is that we were sort of hoping the living room of our homes where we did community group nights, Wednesday night, Thursday night, whatever, would be able to carry the weight of the classroom. But what we began to see is that the classroom weight can't be carried in the living room. People want relationship. We want to learn how to discuss the Bible, pray for one another in these ways. And so by kicking the pendulum from the classroom all the way over to the living room, 
what we've begun to see is that there is a biblical ignorance. Like, I'm not saying you, I'm saying in general, that the kind of truths that most people just grow up with because they've learned them in Sunday school, let's say, are growing weak and lacking. And so our argument is, instead of asking the classroom to carry the way to the living room relationally, and instead of asking the living room to carry the weight of the classroom in terms of genuine biblical instruction, instead of thinking of an either-or, I think the Bible would say it's meant to be both-and. It's meant to be both-and. And so what we are seeking to do, like in a minute I'm going to say, like, will you please pray because we are getting close to lifting some things up off the ground. Like we really need you to cover this in prayer. Here's what it means for children, youth, and adults. Real quick. For children, what we're trying to do is kick around this idea of because that herd age during this time, we want those herd age children, children and above to be here in the service with us. What we're trying to think of, what could it look like to replicate some kind of parent-child teaching, training kind of time before service, right? So we're talking before service reality. So like a maybe more idea of a Sunday school but a little bit different, a little bit tweaked, putting some imagination toward it. Could it be a time where we say, if you don't know how to do this, we would love to come and model some behaviors for you during this time so that way you can just grow in your confidence and knowing how to go back into your home and be primary disciplers, so things like that. Also, what we've recognized is, so whether you know it or not, Delta Church planted in January of 2007, so like this month is like our 17-year birthday, which is crazy to think that our church has been going for 17 years. So in 17 years, we've never had an overt, like how can we help you mom and dad with the youth? And so what we're also, in other words, like to use a word you're probably familiar with, youth group kind of language. And so what we're trying to do is figure that out, but within the confines of the values that we have, like, right, we're not just going to, like, we're trying to work out how can we model what we model in a community group, which is fellowship, Bible discussion, and prayer, which is what we model in discipling groups when it comes to making disciples, fellowship, Bible, prayer, when it comes to our discipling groups, when it comes to helping other Christians mature, fellowship, discipleship, prayer. We want to see that on top of the youth. And so we're trying to kick around ideas. Could it be this, that we get the fellowship and Bible discussion like on a Sunday morning as well? Can we get, or I'm sorry, can we get the Bible discussion and prayer on a Sunday morning and then maybe somehow weave in through the community group rhythms that we have, the fellowship aspect? We don't know. We're, we're trying to work these things out. And then you can just rinse and repeat it on top of the adult side of things thinking through maybe like a collegiate semesterly kind of thing, having core seminars. Here's how you understand the Old Testament. Here's how you read your Bible. Here's a course on apologetics. Here's what it means to pray. Here's what it looks like to make disciples. Here's what it looks like to mature disciples, these sorts of things. In an aid, in an attempt to come alongside you, mom and dad, ultimately for the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, saying it's a both-and reality, so that as you leave, you leave feeling a little bit more and more equipped to love God and love God in front of others, okay? So here is my plea. Here is my request. Would you please pray for this? 
you just need to know this is crazy tricky with logistics. <laughs> the reason why nothing is manifested in 17 years because it's always like, when do you do it? How do you do it? There's child care, and it's like, well, if we're shutting down the herd because of volunteers, how are we starting to resurrect? So it's like, I, I don't know that there will be child care stuff. And so it's like, well, how do you do it with you got children? Listen, I don't know. <laughs> we don't know, and we don't have all of the answers. There is no perfect answer, but we have conviction plus imagination right now. We are convinced, biblically speaking, this is an area that's been lacking within our church and we don't want to see it lacking anymore. And so with conviction from places like Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 4, stitching these things together, what we want to say is this, we need to move forward. Now is the time to move forward. And we realize that just because of the building we own we, or the space that we rent, we don't own the building, we don't have all the rooms open to us. How do we do it on the mornings? How do we do it with no Ch uh, child care, all these stuff. I, I don't quite know, but we know that God knows, and we believe there is an imaginative way forward where it may not look like your traditional Sunday school, but we think there's a way forward, and so just as a fellow brother in the Jesus family, I'm asking, like, would you guys, would you guys pray for this, okay? It just also means this, this is new for our church, and it will require change on our behalf, if you've been from Delta from the beginning, we're asking you to change 17 years of habit, right, and to consider what does it look like to show up earlier on a Sunday morning. And some of you are like, y'all, I can barely get here. I can't even get here on time for 10 a.m. church start time. And you're asking me to get here at 9, 9 a.m. or whatever. It's like, yeah, I think that's what the ask is. But it's like, I've got faith in you, man. I know you can do it. You get up and you're able to get to places on time and other areas of life. And so we're just like, we just need to, we need to start running, running at it. So that is how we are going to seek to move forward with some practical changes to Delta as we go forward. My hope is that you will pray for these things, and you just need to know that as more and more details get solidified, we will pass them along to you because we really believe this is what God is calling us to. Amen? Love you guys. Thank you. I, today was a little bit different. I knew it was going to be different. Thank you for hanging in there and bearing with me, okay? Let's go to our God in prayer. Lord, would you do a good work? And I'm specifically just thinking of parents right now. That was the, the aim this morning. Lord, some of us would say here, by, by your grace, by your mercy, man, like, I, I think we're moving in the right direction here. Not perfectly by any stretch, but we're moving in the right direction here. Lord, would you just help that mom and dad right now to pause and say, thank you, God? Lord, some of us here as parents might say, I mean, if this is what God wants of me, like if I were to ask God, God, what do you want for my family? What's your plan for my family? And if God would say, well, my, my plan for your family looks like Deuteronomy 6, then with humility and with honesty, we'd have to say, man, like that's just not where I'm at. God, thank you that we can walk in the light as you're in the light. We can be honest with others and with you. Lord, my prayer is that this morning what would take place is if some parent here is like, man, like I just need help, that they would come and just ask for help so that we can then all sort of stumble and toddle our way forward in these things, leaning on the everlasting arms of our God. Father, know this, that the aim in all these things is to see you receive the glory you're worthy to receive. 
not only in this Jesus family, but beyond. So that as we walk and talk the things of Jesus all the days of our lives, not only would the generations beyond us be impacted for for Jesus, but the families that we live in and around in our neighborhoods, they would also see, man, a Jesus lover lives in that home. And then the impact of the gospel would permeate out into all these little pockets of Springfield, saturating Springfield with the gospel, turning the Springfield area into a little bit more of a gospel oasis, into a little bit less of a spiritual wasteland because mommies and daddies are loving God and loving God in front of their families. Jesus, help us with these things. And again, I pray all this for your name and for the spread of your fame here in this city and beyond. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.